All right, what's up, everybody? It's time for another episode of Dreadful Talk Podcast, and it's episode 47. I have a very special guest this week, Colby Daniels. Um, if, you, if you're a sports fan in the state of Oklahoma, you know who this man is. Um, I used to listen to him every day in my truck. And the host, host, editor, and producer of the Colby Daniels Podcast. And, uh, yeah, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, man. It's uh, all of those titles. It's it's a lot to keep up with. Uh, learning the podcast business over the last year, man. There are so many elements of it that you probably take for granted when you're just doing on-air talent and radio. But uh, I definitely have a newfound respect for the amount of work that goes into the whole thing when you consider graphics and editing and all that good stuff. Oh, without a doubt. That's what a bulk of my week is spent doing for sure. And uh, I got to say, man, I've learned something before you even opened your mouth today. I learned I need to go open my bio, re-edit it, and add that producer and uh, and editor in there too because I do produce and edit my own show as well. So I'm, I'm learning from you already, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Like I said, I used to listen to you every day. I'm still a big fan of your podcast now. And I love the fact that uh, – you incorporate MMA into into your podcast. You treat it like it's another a normal sport. Like I did it myself. I created a separate podcast just for MMA because it's kind of some may consider niche. But I I love that you just talk about it just like you talk about football and basketball. And I I, I like that you just kind of normalize it into your show. Man, it's it's a sport that I've always been a big fan of. I mean, growing back going back to growing up in the 90s, like on the weekends, you know, we would my friends and I would go to Blockbuster and rent the old UFC VHS tapes and I've I've always had a love for the sport, but in terms of just being able to follow it consistently, I always had that period during football season covering OU where I mean, it's all college football, seven days a week for that, oh, yeah. for that entire like four-month period. So yes. I would always kind of lose track of what was happening in the UFC, and then it would take me a couple months to kind of get back into it. And right about the time that I really felt like I had that fever again, like football starting again, and then I would kind of yeah. lose touch with it. And, you know, over the course of the last year uh, doing the podcast, obviously, it's a completely different setup, and I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Uh, yes. And so, so, yeah, you know, and, and the other thing is, they did a great job in the pandemic when everybody was sitting at home of not only producing content, but producing it basically every single week and, and hitting a home run every single week. Like how many fight cards did we have in 2020 that were just off the hook? Great. So uh, I I feel like they gained a lot of new fans in 2020 as well. It's still not as mainstream as the NBA or, or, you know, the NFL, but I think it's certainly a growing sport. I think it's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and I absolutely love it. Yeah, for sure. Like quite literally growing by the week, by the card. I mean, like they said, knock it out of the park every time. Their their closer relationship with ESPN, I think, is going to prove to be huge as far as growing it and getting eyeballs on it for sure, man. Um, and and yeah, for for my California listeners, man, this is like the Oklahoma version of Damon Bruce or Joe Fortenbar right here, man. I uh, I, I got I, I have a lot of listeners in Oklahoma where I'm originally from. I'm originally from Norman, Oklahoma, but currently been out here in the Bay Area for the past five years, and it's um it's such an interesting dynamic because both are great sports locations independently, but both are also couldn't be more different, you know. And so uh, for, for for a sports fan, it's been great moving out here to the Bay, though all the different pro teams and. And everything going on, uh, you'll actually appreciate this. I was going to the, um, I stopped off at the ATM the other day. I live here in San Jose. I stopped off at the ATM and I look over and it's AKA, the gym that Khabib and DC and yeah. Islam and all those guys train. And I was like, oh man, that's AKA right there. So yeah, no, it's a great, great sports location, man. Um, but are, are you into crypto at all? Do you, you know, did a little bit, you get, you dip your toe in the water at all in the crypto game? Man, I feel like I kind of missed the boat with that early on, so I, I haven't really got into it. My wife uh, got into the Dogecoin stuff, like, early on, and, uh, like, not a lot, but enough to where, like, when it really started rising, we were like, hey, look at look at this. Like, it's uh, it's it's pretty impressive, but uh, no, not, not like, probably not like I should, I guess. Yeah, no, no, I feel you. Well, or maybe not. It's in a huge dip right now. And yeah, it's not the been board. a good day. Oh, yeah, the whole week's been absolutely brutal on the crypto. And so I was going to ask you, pretty, you can just answer however you want, but um, better financial, what better use of money, buying the dip on crypto right now or taking Cody Garbrandt minus 110 even money next weekend or this upcoming weekend? Because I don't know if you've seen um, that money line. Him and Fawn is completely even, uh, the coin flip, minus 110 for both sides. 
Yeah, where, where where you if you had a couple hundred to put on it, where are you going? You you buying the dip or you 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 betting on Garbrandt? I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go crypto, man. As much as I hate to say that, because I'm a big Cody No Love Garbrandt fan, but uh, I think I would probably go crypto there. I actually saw the updated uh, odds for Odd Shark today, and they've got uh, Rob Vaughn as a favorite. So. Uh, read into that. Yeah, read into that what you will. Um, I think Bovada still has both guys at minus 110 uh, as of like two hours ago when I checked. But, man, I, I love Cody Garbrandt. You know, obviously, he's just a likable guy. I don't know how you can not like him if you're an MMA fan. Um, you know, he had the three-fight losing streak, and he bounced back in a big way. I mean, he had one of the best knockouts, I thought, of 2020. Um, yeah. Rob, Rob Font just, you know, I, when you look at what he did against Marlon Marais the last time out, he looks like a guy that's just hitting this level that I think as far as everything he can throw at Cody Garbrandt, it might be a problem. So I think that's going to be a really fun fight and I can't wait to watch it Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, man, that, that is. And I love, I love that perspective. I actually, I'm, I feel like I'm leaning Garbrandt a little bit. Maybe I'm just, you know, listening to his lip service. I feel like he's saying all the right things, but in those three L's, it's so hard to judge three L's because when the three L's are two to Dillashaw that we know wasn't a clean Dillashaw that's been, like, right. proven. And then also, I mean, the loss to Pedro Munoz, it, like, kind of looks bad. But then you look, Munoz also beat Rob Font. So this is another fight that's so fun to do MMA math on because both fighters have a loss to Munoz. And then, um, as you mentioned, Garbrandt's, you know, astounding knockout over a Sunsell. A Sunsell actually beat Rob Font. Now, granted, it was a couple of years ago. So you can, you can MMA math yourself until you're dizzy on that one. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I said, I'm, I'm, I think I'm leaning Cody. But, I mean, I mean either, you know, it, it's a coin flip quite literally. So, yeah, yeah I definitely sure. good to hear your um, perspective on that one. Any thoughts I think, on uh, – I, I think Rob Font – for me, if, if Cody fights the kind of war fight that he fought against Pedro Munoz, I just feel like maybe Font has a little bit more weapons in the arsenal uh, than Cody does. But Cody can always end the fight with one shot. And that's, you know, that's the great equalizer. But I, I just feel like if it goes into that war kind of fight where they're just trading big exchanges, I feel like that favors Rob Font in this matchup. And he's got a six-inch reach advantage, for crying out loud. Yeah, no, that, that, and his boxing, I mean, his boxing, if you just hit, listen to other fighters talk about Rob Font's boxing, like, I remember whenever Holloway, a few, whenever Holloway beat Cater, the, the big debate was, you know, who's the best boxer, Holloway or Cater, or is it McGregor? And then every fighter was like, y'all are low-key for getting Rob Font in this conversation. Every fighter on the, all the podcast kept throwing Rob Font right in that conversation. And when you have the respect of your peers, that matters a lot more than having the respect of really, you know, either one, any, any, anything we have to say on the matter for sure. Um, you know what's no, crazy I know to me? I was, I was having this conversation earlier. Cody Garbrandt's only 29 years old. Like, isn't that kind of mind-blowing? Like, I, it, it probably shouldn't be because he was such a young champion. But, like, when I, when I was looking at his bio earlier today, again, I was just reminded, like, the dude's only 29. Like, his, potentially his best days could still be ahead of him. So, uh, you oh, know, yeah. that's the other thing. What, what version of Cody Garbrandt do we see? Do we see maybe a somewhat reimagined version of the guy that was once a champion? Or, you know, is, is, is the ship going in the other direction? Yeah, right. This is totally that fork in the road fight for, for Cody Garbrandt. And, I, and I'm glad they're kind of, you know, and, and they're kind of showing him the respect with giving him a guy like Font, who, you know, it's a it's a it's a nice test. Now, um, are you mainly just UFC or do you follow any of the other promotions? One championship PFL? Do you ever do you ever dip your toe in the water? Any of those? I, I don't follow the other ones nearly the same way that I follow the UFC. I mean, I, I follow the UFC almost every week. And, and for yeah. the most part, I'm, I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm an expert on the entire roster, but I know the majority of the fighters in the UFC where with the other promotions, I know the big names. Uh, and, and, you know, when there's a big fight, I'll obviously pay attention to it. I've been trying to catch the PFL and I caught one that, uh, that opening week. I haven't been able to catch that again since it started, but I follow the other ones somewhat. I just, I don't have the amount of time to really follow all the other ones the same way with, you know, all the other sports I watch as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's exactly my look on Like, I love it. Like when I get a chance to yeah. watch it, I, I, I enjoy it every time. I never walk away thinking like, Oh, this was not worth watching, but yeah, you're right. right. It just on top of staying on top of the UFC stuff. It is just so many names, so many weight yeah. classes, so many. And then like one even incorporates like completely other sports, like Muay Thai, kickboxing and, grappling pure grappling matches i do think that is interesting how they organize the card with different kind of martial arts on it that it uh it keeps the attention span you know some of these you know seven yeah. hour if you're watching the early prelims these seven hour 
UFC cards, and I'm I love it. I I, I love I watch every single fight every single Same. week, but. But it can be a little much after seven hours, especially if, you know, some of the prelims, you know, a bunch of decisions or something. It can be a little much. I like how some of the other promotions kind of get in and get out a little bit. Um, the next pay-per-view coming up, I, I loved your um, your, po your podcast episode you did over the channel, All of Verified. I, uh, I felt very similar to the way you did. And um, But the next pay-per-view coming up is UFC 263. We got Izzy versus Marvin. Um, you you giving Marvin any, any snowball chance in hell in that one? Man, you know, that, that first fight was so close between the two guys, and I certainly feel like both guys are a lot better now than they were then. I just feel like Izzy has come so much further since that time than Marvin Vittori has. And uh, Izzy's one of the smartest fighters in the game. Uh, obviously, he's coming off the loss, and I, I, think it, I think some people are a little down on him. I mean, it was, it was still a close fight. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and if he wins that, the, the conversation's completely different. If he wins one round, the conversation's completely different surrounding yeah. him. So I still like Israel Adesanya. I think Vittori will challenge him in some ways. But Israel Adesanya, I feel like from the time we watched him beat Marvin Vittori and every win he's had since then has just grown tremendously uh, with every single time he's been in the octagon that at this point, I, I feel like there's a much bigger gap. Yeah, yeah, I think some people may be trying to equate Jan Blahovich's wrestling to, in thinking that, like, because Marvin's a big, strong guy who likes to wrestle. I think they're trying to do some MMA math there. But, but the, the part of the MMA math you're leaving out is about 40 pounds. Uh, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a crucial part of that equation for sure. And I feel similar to you. I feel pretty confident about Izzy at that one. I don't think, you know, every, every fighter fighting Izzy says they're just going to get their hands on him and not let him keep the distance. And he's... And, and Easier said than done. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and I usually lean wrestler over striker. I've learned, you know, it usually proves to be effective, but Izzy's kind of found found that magic juice. And then kind of a, car, a fight that I'm not hearing talked about as much that I cannot wait. I'm chomping out the bit for The first one was one of my favorite fights of 2020 and a super, I mean, amazing fight. But we're talking Figueroa Moreno 2. Um, I, it was actually the, I believe the co-main, I believe they put it over yeah. Leon and Nate and, you know, and it's easy to, you know, for that to get lost in the mix between the main event and then Leon and Nate, but, but that's a fight nobody's talking about. That's going to be an absolute heater. It's yeah, that's an awesome fight. It was one of the candidates for fight of the year last year. Uh, yeah. I, I, Figueredo, I felt like in that last fight, and, and correct me if you think otherwise, but I felt like he really took what Brandon Moreno brought to the table for granted. I didn't really feel like we got a very focused Figueredo. I felt like he just thought, I'm going to get this guy out of here in a round or two, and it'll just be fight over, and I move on. And even with that said, he got a better fight from Moreno than he expected. He lost a point on the scorecards, and they get the, you know, the, the way it goes. So I think you get a much more focused and uh, – a Figueredo that respects Brandon Moreno much more this time around than he did the first time. And I think that probably shows in the way the fight is, is approached this time around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a great way of looking at it. I, I, I kind of look at it kind of similar. Like I, I feel um, Figueredo's already taken Moreno's best stuff. Like Moreno already had kind of his Rocky Balboa overachieving kind of moment. And and it was beautiful. It was glorious because, like I said, I thought Figueroa was going to mop the floor with, you know, he's so much smaller and just frailer. And, and just if you eye test wise, the whole getting off the, the bus test, you know, it doesn't even look like they're in the same weight class. And so you're and then you watch him go the distance and give him, you know, everything he bargained for and more. But I just what are the odds he can do that twice? You know what I mean? Like, what's the right. chances that he can kind of outkick his coverage a second time, like fight the perfect fight? Again, yeah, and the, and the odds makers feel similar to us. I think they have Figueroa like minus two fifty. So I yeah. think it would be a pretty big upset if Moreno was able to pull that off. But man, that as was great as that fun. fight was. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if Brandon Moreno pulled it out. And then we were talking about this a little bit in the DMs, but I definitely wanted to dive much deeper into it with you. Now we got we got Leon Edwards, the the you know the fight bookers curse Leon Edwards versus uh, Nate Diaz. Who I know this one is actually Nate Diaz's fault, but there's a, um, but yeah, and uh, it's it's absolutely wild because you know Twitter and MMA fans, you know, it's real quick. Who do, who do you got? Who do you got? Vegas has made it super clear who they have, and I was actually a little shocked when I saw this money line. Uh, you may have a newer one, but the last one I saw was Edwards minus five hundred. 
I, I haven't I, seen a line, but I would I would have guessed maybe minus four hundred. So yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. would have been you know low fours, high threes, but five is yeah. huge. I mean, we're starting to look at like like is, is Shevchenko fighting? Like what is this? I mean, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I I personally think I have a little bit too much respect for Diaz's chin. Like if you could, I think betting that it will go the distance or something like that is a pretty safe bet on that fight. I don't. I don't think he's going to finish Diaz. Nobody finishes Diaz. And and, and, um, and Diaz, I don't know if he'll be able to finish me. I think it definitely goes to decision. Diaz usually doesn't fight a very scorecard-friendly style. He takes a right. lot of damage. Um, I definitely understand the money line. And maybe yeah. it's my heart, not my brain. But I just feel like it's a little too big. Like, I definitely wouldn't lay the money on, on, on Edwards to, on a minus 500. I definitely don't have that much confidence in Edwards at all. Well, and what's what's our uh, what's the timeline now for Nate? Isn't it like three years or something since he's been in the octagon? So look, I know Leon has had a lot of time off as well through all the bad yeah. luck he's experienced. But yeah, uh, I think you know we're talking about a guy that's in his prime versus a guy that's not and hasn't fought in a long time. Nate Diaz is going to show up and make Leon Edwards earn that. I mean, that's the one thing we know about Nate Diaz. Um, the, my main takeaway from this matchup was really I, I thought the UFC really values Leon Edwards and what kind of potential he has in this sport because you just don't land a Nate Diaz opponent uh, if, if the UFC doesn't think that you can capitalize from that fight. So um, I, I think this probably is to set up Leon Edwards and, and Kamaru Usman for the title. And, uh, you know, whether, whether Leon's able to, to give a better showing in the rematch than he did the first time is, is you know, remains to be seen. But I, I think that what this told me is the UFC really believes in what Leon Edwards can do. Yeah, and they're definitely trying to use that machine to build him up, and they're definitely yeah. trying to um, give him the rub, you know, as they say, give him the rub with the with the star. And um, and, and yeah, man, I, uh, I, don't know, I'm, I I'm ecstatic for that fight, as everybody is, especially with the additional month of buildup that we kind of nobody wanted, and those poor people who bought tickets in Houston. I heard everybody was oh. pissed, but uh, but yeah, no, going to be a, another outstanding card, and I I feel like UFC makes you say this like every two months, but like. What an outstanding card. That's definitely going to be up for, like, card of the year. Um, all right, man. Um, definitely want to take some time to transition to OU football because being out here in the Bay Area, I don't get to talk OU football with anybody. I only get to watch the nationally televised games, which thankfully OU such a big brand. That's honestly most of them. You'd be surprised how many I, I'm able to watch out here. But, um, but yeah, I'm, so – and, and the only talk I get – about OU is of the national media and we all know how the national media does be doing <laughs> OU dirty so it's sometimes I'd like rather listen to nothing about OU than listen to the national media speak about OU quite frankly um but even the national media this year which is why I'm shocked and why I have all the questions in the world and, and want to let you go go hard on OU football but because the national media seems to actually be giving them respect this year which almost makes me pump the brakes even more. I'm like, something, is this a trap? Like, what's a, this, that never happens. But people are, you know, they're all over Spencer, or uh, yeah, Spencer Rattler. Um, a lot of people are making OU um, national championship predictions. So just starting off just simple, like, what is different? Like, what kind of seems to have earned the national media's respect, especially in an offseason? That's another crazy thing about the sport of college football is, so much is gained and lost when no games are being played in these off seasons. Um, but yeah, what, what's so special? What's all the hype about? Is it real? I think it's, it's two things. It's, it's physicality overall. Oklahoma is a much more physical team right now than they've been the last, what, five years or so. And then it's just defense. Um, you know, I think a lot Ooh. of, you, you mentioned the national media conversation, a lot of the criticism, while maybe sometimes it gets blown out of proportion I think the genesis of a lot of that criticism is, is pretty fair. And, and most of that criticism has been Oklahoma dominates a pretty weak conference and then gets to a national stage against the other big boys and they get muscled around. And, th and that's exactly what we've seen in a lot of these college football semifinals. So um, again, I think they probably sometimes take it to extremes, but for the most part, like I said, I think the genesis of those ideas is fair. All of a sudden you look at Oklahoma last year and while there were some offensive struggles, especially in the first half of the season and, the wide receivers were pretty inconsistent for most of the year. A lot of drop passes. We saw a quarterback that might be the number one pick in next year's NFL draft emerge from game to game to game. I mean, he got drastically better every single week to the point that at the end of the year, you're like, how is this guy not going to be the Heisman favorite next year? And then you had a defense that for the first time in a long time really felt like, hey, these guys could win you a football game. 
not just like make a couple of big plays when you need them to. They can be the bell cow and they can lead the way. And, and, you know, there were multiple games last year where you felt like the defense was the better unit of the two. So it all starts on the defensive line. Like anything, Uh, everything behind the defensive line is, it really doesn't matter if your defensive line is getting completely dominated. You can have the best corners and the best safeties in college football but if your defensive line is getting completely dominated on the line of scrimmage, those guys don't matter. So uh, it starts on the defensive line. And I, I would say this, I think today, if I had to pick the best defensive line in college football next year, it's Oklahoma. They lose, you know, a guy that was absolutely incredible with Ronnie Perkins a year ago, but they bring back Nick Benito and Perrion Winfrey. And I thought Isaiah Thomas before Ronnie Perkins came back last year was the best defensive lineman in the conference. Uh, and then Ronnie Perkins took that honor. Uh, a lot of people feel like Nick Benito is a future first round pick next year. Uh, there are going to be some new names in that defensive line rotation, and they have depth in that defensive line. So I think that's going to be a scary group that leads the way for that Oklahoma defense. And then you add a bunch of young offensive stars to Lincoln Riley's offense that now have a year under their belt. Kind of feels like the offense is going to return to what we saw a couple years ago. And you pair that with a defense, the caliber that Oklahoma had a year ago, and it's a national championship recipe. Oh, man, that is music to my ears because you're exactly right. You know, you think Oklahoma football, you think slot receivers and quarterbacks and, and running backs. and and But, yeah, that you don't – well, it seems weird because growing up, I did think D-line. You, you, I mean, I grew up in, like, the Tommy Harris and Dusty Dvorak. We had the nastiest D-line, yeah. like, every year. And then for some, it just it vanished. The cover became very bare very quickly. And we had, you know, 208-pound defensive ends all of a sudden. And – and, 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 you know, we're trying to run the kind of Tulsa-style defense. And, 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 yeah, I do. I am super glad to see four hands in the ground. I'm super glad to see just blue-chip athletes. Like, what was the last um, Oklahoma defensive lineman drafted in the first round? Was it Gerald McCoy? Was got to be Gerald McCoy, yeah. It has to be Gerald McCoy. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, obviously. Yeah, I, I can't you know, think yeah. of anybody else. Yeah, and so, like, that's what I, you know, I grew up with studs. Like, that That was the norm. Like, yeah, and then, you know, obviously the rise of Alabama and and, um, and, and the rise of Clemson, really. Um, you know, back when I was a kid, Clemson wasn't good at football. So, I feel like they're kind of stealing, good, stealing some recruits. But um, so, so you, you, you're you taking OU's line over Bama's line if it's you. If you, if you get to pick one D-line to roll with, you're, you're, you're that confident. Yeah, that's, today, that's music yeah. to my well, ears, I mean, brother. look. Here's the thing about Alabama, and this, this, is, this is going to be true every single year. Alabama will have the most talented dudes on the football field. The difference between Oklahoma and Alabama this year is that Oklahoma brings back proven commodities on that defensive line, whereas with Alabama, they're replacing a couple guys. So they're also replacing those guys with five-star athletes. It's, it's not like yeah. it's some guy yeah. that's going to step into this thing and be physically you know, not capable of, of performing the job. It's just like, yeah. how, do, how long does it take for a new starter to adjust and play at a high level? It's going to happen right. at some point. You just don't know if it happens in game one or game 10. Uh, I think Oklahoma from game one next year is going to be ready to rock and roll on the defensive line. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And then um, on the offensive side of the ball, it seems to be a collection of talent, or correct me if I'm wrong, I definitely want to hear you know, your guys, you have your eyes on, I know Mims, a lot of people are high on Mims, but uh, it seems like there's not necessarily like a, a, a you know, a Hollywood Brown or a, like, a, a, like a clear-cut number one guy, or is there? Am I, am I missing out, or are we waiting for that guy to emerge? And that goes for running backs or receivers or tight ends. Is there like a, yeah. uh, you know, a bet the house, like this is the, this is the stud on the offensive side? Yes and no, I guess, is the best way to say that. Marvin Mims had, you know, arguably the best freshman season in OU history, uh, which is saying a lot considering what CeeDee Lamb did just a few years ago. So, um, you know, we we did see inconsistencies with him as well. But, look, that's expected from a freshman. So, I think when you just take into account what he accomplished last year as a true freshman and you give him a full offseason to actually be with the the team, because remember – And everybody had this position. Nobody really got to work out together last year. So a lot of the chemistry issues were being worked out in real live competition on the football field on Saturday's game day. So I I think when you just take all of that into account, what Marvin Mims accomplished last year and just the expected uh, continuation of his development, I think he's going to be the guy. I would say that the chemistry factor as well has got to be huge with with a young quarterback. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're not going through, through it for the first time. I mean, I, you can speak to this. Anytime you do anything for the first time, there's a level of just kind of like 
you know, gauging your surroundings and trying to figure out, you know, where you are and what you need to do. And once you've been through it once, it's, it's easier the second time. So I, I think he'll be more comfortable uh, the second time around. But look, he was spectacular as a freshman. Austin Stogner had a lot of issues a year ago, health issues and things of that nature. But I think he's the biggest mismatch in the conference. Oklahoma needs to make it a point to dedicate part of their game plan to finding ways to get him the football because there's nobody in the conference that can defend him. So he, when he's I said a tight end, no, right? it's like, yeah, yeah. He's like six, seven, six, eight, the guy, and he has great hands, good athletic ability. Uh, I, I think he's got to be a guy that they really take advantage of this year. And if they don't, I think they're really missing an opportunity uh, to, to, you know, make that offense as dynamic as it can be. And then there are like six other guys that are just immensely talented. I mean, you, you know, yeah. all the names, they're all five-star guys that, we know have the size and speed and athletic ability. And it just becomes a situation where it's like, Hey, you get your opportunity on Saturday and you've got to go, you know, make the plays when your number's called. Uh, you know, we've seen really good plays out of Theo Weiss, but we've seen him drop some footballs. Like I think Theo Weiss could be a monster for this team this year. He's just got to be a little bit more consistent. And, you know, Jaden Hazelwood missed most of last year. Uh, he had the spectacular catch in the bowl game, but he's another guy that was a former number one receiver in the, in an entire recruiting class that, I think can be really special. So there are so many pass catchers for this team that have the ability. It's just about one of those guys like deciding I'm going to be the alpha and I'm going to step forward and, and just become the guy, so to speak. And then as far as the two running backs, uh, you know, Kennedy Brooks, I think is going to be one of the best running backs in college football. I thought that he was, you know, two years ago when he played, I thought he was probably the best of the guys they had. And remember they had Ramondre Stevenson and Trey Sermon as well. At that point, I think Kennedy Brooks is that good. He's that special He's not as dynamic maybe at times as those two guys, but you never see a negative play from Kennedy Brooks. He's always making big plays. It just may not look like he's trucking dudes or running past them, but he's always making big plays. And then Eric Gray, the, the Tennessee transfer, I, is going to be a perfect fit for what Lincoln Riley wants to do. I think they're going to be really creative with how they use him, not only in the run game, but in the pass game. So I think there's a really nice one-two combination with those two guys. And then, you know, like the receivers, they've got a bunch of other younger guys that may not see as much time, but are also extremely talented. Man, oh, man, that was that was great stuff. Um, man, because I wanted to definitely – one of my questions I wanted to ask you was about Kennedy Brooks. And, man, I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling like a hater now. I, don't, I, I just – my standard for OU running back is as high as high can come. I mean, Adrian Peterson, I worship Adrian Peterson. Like, right. that, that was my guy growing up. And so – uh, my bar is so high. I mean, even the DeMarco Murrays, I mean, so many studs. I mean, too many to list, right? It's, it's RBU. But, like, Kennedy Brooks, like, people like, I see on Twitter, and he, you, you gave him very high praise, and everybody's so high on Kennedy Brooks. I, I, I got to be real. I didn't see that. I'm not saying I saw bad or I saw something I don't like. I just didn't see, like, upper echelon. Like, I saw, like, very good but not great. What is – I guess the improvement or is it just the ability to be a, a factor in the passing game? And it's not a traditional agent Peterson style running back that I'm, that we're so used to. Like, is it the versatility? What's what's, what is it about Kennedy Brooks that maybe I'm missing out on or other people are really high on? No. And, and look, that's, that's completely fair. Uh, because like I said, Kennedy Brooks, isn't the highlight guy, right? Like he's not, mm. he's not going to just run over a linebacker as he goes through the line of scrimmage. He's not going to, you know, make a couple guys, miss in space and then take it to the house 80 yards and outrun everybody on the team. He doesn't have that sort of size and power. He doesn't have that sort of breakaway speed. So I get why there are people that don't see him as being like super dynamic the way that like Adrian Peterson puts together a highlight package or DeMarco Murray puts together a highlight package. But what he has is he has incredible patience and incredible vision. And he's just, he's smooth like a Cadillac, man. Like he gets the ball, okay. he sees the okay. hole he just – he casually makes guys miss. He runs where the defense is, and he runs – I think he is creepy with the speed because I think guys misevaluate how fast he is because he doesn't look like he's running fast, and so guys take bad angles on him all the time. Um, he's just – he's a really clever running back, man. He's – like I say, he's not – he doesn't blow you away with any of the physical gifts. But, you know, it's, it's the vision and the patience and always knowing where to be, where to go – and the guy just, like, he always makes plays. Like, it may not be an 80-yard touchdown every time, but the guy always makes plays. He's so consistent. All right. I love it, for sure. I'm definitely looking forward to this season, for sure. And then they typically do a running back by committee anyway, so he'll definitely be part of the equation. Right. Um, now, Rattler, another thing, like I said, national media. I turn on ESPN. You hear all that even now here on sports radio. 
I mean, Rattler, they're talking about next year's number one pick. They're talking about Heisman Trophy. Um, and, and I got to wonder, because especially with college quarterbacks, we go through it every year. Are, is, it, is it Rattler, the physical prospect like him, or are people factoring in the numbers he's going to put up in Lincoln Riley's offense that it might make it kind of, you know, impossible not to take him number one? You, you see what I'm saying? How is, is he like, is he himself, if he wasn't wearing that uniform and had a different head coach, is he a, a blue chip top of the first round quarterback? Or is it just kind of people factoring in, you know, the, the, the insane numbers we all expect him to put up that might make him just undeniable? Yes. It's both. Okay, um, good, I, look, good. Any, anybody that has a, a decent quarterback skill set, and, and we can use Jalen Hurts as an example here. Uh, Jalen Hurts wasn't – I mean, we just watched two world-class – I mean, two of the greatest college quarterbacks ever. Quarterback OU, and then here comes Jalen Hurts, who clearly isn't nearly as gifted as a quarterback. He's a great athlete, but not nearly as gifted as a quarterback as the two guys that played before him. And the guy was a Heisman finalist. The guy would put up yeah. insane numbers every single week in that offense. So you add Spencer Rattler, who does have the physical gifts that like Baker Mayfield had, that Kyler Murray had throwing the football. The guy's got a monster arm. The guy has all the passes. He can, you know, he, he can throw every single one of them. He has great touch. And look, he, he had a rocky road last year, especially at the start. That happens to freshman quarterbacks. Surprise, surprise. There are very few freshman quarterbacks that don't have some you know problematic starts it, it just you know it's it's part of the it's part of the deal yeah. so oh yeah he got through that and and if you really look at what he did in the first half of the season versus what he did in the second half of the season it was night and day I mean he was yes. so far ahead of the game at the end of the year versus what he was at the beginning of the year he wasn't making the same mistakes he had clearly learned from the mistakes that he made early in the season and look once again we have to have the conversation we had, we had the pandemic last year. There wasn't, you know, the time for him to traditionally build up to a season as a starting quarterback the way you normally would. So he's kind of thrown into the fire. And, and you know, I thought he passed with flying colors, to be honest with you, uh, to be in yeah. that situation as the starting quarterback for Oklahoma. And, you know, the offensive line obviously wasn't as good as it had been in the past. They were going through a bunch of turnover. There were a lot of drops last season. So, you know, he was let down at times by his pass catchers. Uh, now you're going to have an entire offseason for him to work in the offense, to be around the coaching staff, to be around teammates, develop chemistry. There's, there's so much more experience on the offside uh, offense in every single position group. Uh, yeah. The sky's the limit for what this guy can accomplish. Like if, if you are betting on the Heisman winner, there's no way that you couldn't think that Spencer Rattler's not the favorite. I mean, he's in the offense yes. that's going to yeah. allow him to thrive. He's got the, the skill and ability and then look at the, the other big universities around the country. Ohio State just sent um, Justin Fields to the NFL. Clemson just yeah. sent Trevor Lawrence to the NFL. Alabama just yeah. sent Mac Jones to the NFL. And then there's Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler. So uh, I think yeah. he's poised for a monster season. And look, it's all on him. He, he's got everything in front of him to have as good a season as he wants to. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's so – because I'm here in the Bay Area. We just had, you know, Trey Lance Palooza for the past however many months, you know, on sports radio out here in the Bay Area. And, and uh, it, it really the, – the, listening to the process of the Trey Lance evaluation really has – it really did impact the way I, I, I look at quarterbacks of, like, trying to it's, – and it's, it's the million-dollar question. It's the thing everybody's trying to get good at is trying to imagine them, you know, not – in that uniform, not throwing to those group of guys, not having that, like, what are they in a vacuum by themselves? Because, right. like, that's – yeah, because I, I feel super safe about um, Rattler Rattler as the Heisman. It's just I was I was super interested to hear your thoughts on him as as a blue-chip recruit, you know, and as a prospect. So, that's that's exciting. I, I you know, I, I love to hear it. And, you know, that, that, that offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, um, man, I, I saw I, – for those watching, I, I have a lot of, like I said, viewers from the Bay Area and California that maybe – there's a lot of people out here that have never experienced a good college football game. Like the, <laughs> the, the environment, the food, the, the fans, like the, the generations of fans. No, I mean, obviously the Bay Area has some of the best pro fans, you know, in, in the world. But as far as the college experience, it's different out here. Um, you know, we have Stanford. We got Cal Berkeley. But, like, quite frankly, nobody gives a shit. Like, it's it's weird. Like, right. uh, like in Palo Alto, you know, it's like a country club vibe. Like, am I going to go drink some wine in the parking lot? And then, like, 
at Cal Berkeley, you know, they'd probably rather be like protesting something than watching a football game. So it's like, it's like, you know, it's just, a lot, I, I miss that. I miss being in like a college football town. I do miss that. Um, and, and just, yeah, kind of, because you've been to pro events, you've, 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 you know, been to sporting events of the highest order. What does make OU football and, and college football, that Southern college football so special, man, in your words, in your humble estimation? Man, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's somewhat of a religion in this region, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people, people literally build their entire years around college football Saturdays. And, and when it gets here, I mean, your entire Saturday is consumed by not only the game, but, you know, pregame and postgame and tailgating. And it's a sun up to sundown, uh, just massive party every single week. I mean, just a bunch of people that are shit faced and ready to scream boomer sooner every Saturday. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's uh, dude, there's nothing like it. Like it, there are so many people that I've been to NFL games and that's, that's like also a really intense fandom, but it's just a different kind of fandom. I feel like it's uh it's maybe a little bit more of a like hostile type of fandom uh, than, than the college level where it just kind of feels like everybody's like really excited about their team, but everybody's really ready to like, just have a good time. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's a really interesting dynamic. They're, they're really different. Uh, but I think they kind of have equal passion for both. Yeah. For they sure. they, they kind of give it in different ways. I think college, I would much rather take my family to a college game and rather like go out with the boys to an NFL game. If you can see what for I'm saying. Sure. More, yeah. For yeah. Sure. For sure. Um, and then, oh, man, you, you probably, I mean, I imagine you've been to some of the best stadiums, other going to away games. Um, do you, besides, you know, Norman, besides OU, what's your, um, like, number one, you know, college town, college stadium, you know, like road, road game experience, you know, that you've had? Well, the top one has to be just going to the Rose Bowl. So everybody in your part of the country is going to appreciate that answer. I mean, there is nothing like – college football in the Rose Bowl to look over the stadium and have the mountains and like it's just it's it's the perfect setting for college football there's nothing better so as as a college football fan since I was like five years old to finally get the chance to be in a Rose Bowl and look that was the Oklahoma Georgia game that went to overtime and like obviously it didn't go OU's way but it was an incredible game that had massive momentum swings and it was so much fun so that's got to be at the top of the list just being at the Rose Bowl but in terms of uh, just being at, at like a, a, a college football setting in a, in a city, uh, I would say Ann Arbor, Michigan is, is pretty special. Um, it's also one of those deals where, I mean, you, you know, 100 plus thousand fans pile into the arena. Uh, they also start tailgating before the sun comes up. I mean, there are people shotgunning beers uh, when it's still dark outside. There's, so there's a golf course across the street from the big house, and they basically turn it into a parking lot. So people just drive, oh, I mean, you know, people wow. drive on these fairways and park, and then it turns into this, like, massive tailgate ground where it's just complete chaos and, and dumbassery and, like, everything that you want out of a college football game day. And then you get inside the stadium when the game finally starts if you're not too shit-faced to, you know, be able to remember anything from it. But uh, then you get 100-plus thousand people, like, just going crazy with every snap. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, no, that's got to be amazing. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to imagine 100,000. Like I said, yeah, I've been, you know, I've experienced the 87,000 or whatever yeah. OU is, but uh, yeah, that's a whole nother ball game for sure. I, I too have a Rose Bowl experience. I went, I was a little boy, I was like eight years old whenever we played like 03, I think, when we played like Washington State, the oh, yeah, yeah. years. Yeah, I, I was I was in that in the stands that day, so I too share a Rose Bowl experience. I, you know, I don't. I was pretty young, you know. I don't have too many memories. I remember, especially coming from Oklahoma, everything's cheap in Oklahoma. And I remember it was like 2003, and a cheeseburger was like ten dollars, and that like etched in my mind. Like, I was like, ten dollars is a lot more in 03, man. That's that's an expensive damn burger, but uh, especially the Oklahoma boy. But uh, but yeah, for sure, man. And then um. Like, another thing people, just real quick, I wanted to touch on the, the relation to college sports, the differs in, in Oklahoma and in the South versus out here in the Bay Area. Like, out here in the people that care a lot about Cal football are, like, Cal graduates, like Cal alumni. Right. Like, you right. have some direct relation to the school. Like, like I want people to, like, my California viewers to, like, listen, like, you don't even have to have anybody in your family tree that ever even sniffed a OU class to be a diehard OU fan and have the jerseys. Like, it's it's completely separate. Like, I don't think people 
can under, like how why would you be a fan of a school that you didn't go to like it just you just are like it just like yeah it's just I, I don't know I wanted to kind of bring that up but um and then um real quick I'll let you I'll let you determine like pick your own adventure style on this podcast um would you rather tell that story you were telling me about earlier or would you rather <laughs> talk some thunder basketball next I'll let you decide man I'll go either way what do you want to hear uh, let's hear the story, and, and, then, right. and then we'll, we'll, we'll cap it off with some Thunder basketball. All right, so um, I, I sent you a DM because I saw on your, uh, on your Instagram today that you had a job interview. Uh, yeah. So it reminded me uh, of my first sports radio job interview. So I had been interning at the Sports Animal uh, in Oklahoma City um, out of the internship. that you know They hired me before the internship was over, so – it was, there really wasn't even an interview. I just, you know, I got the job. I did a bunch of different jobs at that time, um, covering the team, producing shows. I mean, anything that I could do to get hours at that point I was doing. So finally there was another radio station that had some interest in me to like allow me to be on the air and, and do a, a hosting job. So I had this uh, job interview scheduled and uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ace this. This is a really big opportunity. Um, I'm going to take this very seriously. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, lay the clothes out at night, uh, going to go to bed early, you know, get up, eat a good breakfast, like all the things they tell you to be sharp. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it, like my buddies end up sending me a text message at like 930 and they're like, bro, come out for a beer. <laughs> I'm like, no, man, uh, I, you know, I got this interview and they're relentless. So, you know, me being the uh, easily peer, peer pressured person that I am, I, I say yes. So I go out and it turns into one of those like drink till 4 a.m. type of nights and oh, man. just completely shit canned. Uh, so you know, <laughs> I go home, get as much sleep as I can, wake up, feel like shit, completely hungover, get dressed. Uh, I, so I go to this job interview. The job interview was like at 1130, I think. Okay. So we meet at this office at 1130 and they're like, hey, why don't we uh, why don't we just go to lunch and we'll do the job interview at, at lunch. I'm like, all right, that works. You know, I could, I could use, uh, I could use something to, to make yeah, me feel yeah. better. So we go to a Buffalo wild wings and <laughs> I, I think most Buffalo wild wings are similar where they have like the main dining area. And then they have like the, the closed off like bar area. Um, yeah, yeah. so we go into the bar area, you know, and, and, uh, we get, we order wings and everybody was drinking. So that was kind of cool. So I ordered a bloody Mary uh, so I was like, all right, this is, this is really cool. So Best case the scenario. crush it. Yeah. I was like, perfect. I get to drink a bloody Mary, heal the wounds a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It helps me thrive in the interview, kind of relax a little bit. So I crushed the interview that hired me on the spot. Nice. So I'm feeling pretty good now. I'm, I'm thinking, all right, this is, this is awesome. I got the job. Just don't screw it up. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I figure I, I've like, I got to go to the bathroom. So I, I excuse myself. I go to the bathroom. I go up to the urinal. And as I start taking a leak, I feel a fart coming. Oh, no. And I let it go, and it wasn't a fart. Oh, no. And I no. just shit my pants. <laughs> just shit my pants in the middle of this Buffalo Wild Wings, completely hungover, and I go into full-blown panic mode. Like, I just got hired by this job. The guys that are now going to be my bosses are sitting at this table outside, and I just shit my pants. <laughs> so... <laughs> trying to figure out how I'm going to manage the situation. I kind of like duck walk from the urinal to a stall so that I don't like make a bigger mess in the pants than was already there. And I go, I go in the stall and again, thank God it was like early enough in the day that you know how most men's bathrooms are. They're just completely disgusting. Yeah, it was early enough in the day nice. that the floors weren't wet or anything. I mean, it was, it was pretty clean. So I kind of kick off my shoes and, and take off my pants and everything and clean myself up the best I can. But there's, there's not really a way to, to clean this up in a way where I can go back to the table presentable. Yeah. There's so, only so much you can do, you know, right. with some, some paper towels. Right. Yeah. When you shit your pants, like there's only so much you can do. So I decide I'm going to duck out of this place and drive down only the road until to. I can find somewhere to buy new clothes. Yep. So I, so I, I come out of the bathroom, I duck down, I basically crawl on hands and knees, <laughs> crawl out of this Buffalo Wild Wings, get out the front door, run to my car, jump in my car, drive down the road. Luckily, there was a Walmart about three miles down the road. I go into Walmart and grab like whatever I could grab, pay for it, go to the dressing room, put it on, drive back to the Buffalo Wild Wings, 
walk in the front door, and once again, I crawl so they don't see me coming in the front door. I crawl, and these people are looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Crawl back to the bathroom, and then I, like, kind of, like, stand up and come out of the bathroom like I had just been in there the whole time and walk back to the table. Probably 30 minutes have passed at least. <laughs> and I sit down there like, hey, are you okay? And I just, I'm like, yeah, just, you know, I, I, it, it hit me. And uh, they just kind of laughed it off like, it happens to all of us. Completely oh, got you- away with it. I shit my pants, left the place, <laughs> got new clothes, came back. They didn't even notice the new clothes. And, uh, yeah, they never knew. Man, you have a New York Times bestseller on your hands, how to shit your pants and get away with it. It's, it's, it's the advice everybody really needs in their life. Wow, you did not disappoint. People tell you they have a story. Hey, future podcast guests, if you tell me you got a story, you got a high bar to measure. That that was that was good stuff, man. That was uh, hilarious. Oh my goodness, but holy shit! Talk, like overcoming adversity, you made it work. You found a way, right? Talking about overcome adversity, way. baby. Overcome hey, after adversity. that, I felt like I was bulletproof. If I can get through that, whatever yeah. you throw at me, I'm gonna find a way around it. Exactly. Throw me anything. Give me what you got after that. Like. Like, in a way, it was like a christening. Holy shit. That was a wild story, my friend. All right, man. Did not disappoint at all. Um, and then, just real quick, as I wanted to get into some Thunder basketball, you said out here in the Bay Area, it, it used to be, like, a big, hot topic when I first moved out. I moved out in, like, 2016, like, peak Warriors run. Oh, and, like, yeah. you know, KD leaving was, like, fresh wound. And it was just, like, it was at any bar I went to, any kind of room I found myself in, I could easily start some shit real quick. T- talking thunder, wearing a thunder hat, thunder shirt, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, now it's kind of cooled off a little bit. The Warriors have cooled off. The Thunders have cooled off kind of both respectively. It's cooled off a little bit. But so I, that being said, I never really get to talk any thunder basketball anymore. And, and, I, I, and I only, like I said, I only get to really watch it when they're on national televised, which on a year like this year, I don't even know if what happened at all. Yeah. And um, so I'm pretty out of the loop as far as this year go. Like everything up until this year, I'm locked in. But like I'm pretty lost as far as this year goes. Obviously, we're in a big rebuild, um, and, and I just kind of want to. Um, because so obviously the centerpiece of the Oklahoma City Thunder, as it sits today, I guess the most bankable player is Shy Gilgis Alexander. It seems that that's the piece that like if you're gonna bet on any of these guys to still be here in four years, it's it's it's, it's him. Um, or, or do you feel that way? Do you, yeah, I yeah, guess maybe I, I mean, am I assuming? It's an interesting conversation because, you know, if, if you're not one of the best teams in the NBA, then you have to go find, a, you know, an all-star caliber player to, to build the team around. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is really good, and he had a really good season. I mean, you know, we're, we're watching an NBA this year where the offensive output across the league, like, drastically increased to the point that, like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's numbers at the all-star break were all-star caliber numbers. Like, if you, if you put Shea Gilgis-Alexander in 2016, like you referenced, he's an NBA all-star with those numbers. The problem was this year there were, like, 40 dudes that had the same numbers that Shea Gilgis-Alexander did. So, yeah. you know, if you want to talk about how good he was and the improvement, it was definitely there. But everybody had guys that were doing the same thing as Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So that's where it becomes an interesting dynamic. He's definitely the best guy on the team now. Now, yeah. depending on what pick the Thunder get and who they get out of this draft, that could potentially change. Not necessarily next year, but in terms of the guy they're building around, that part of it yeah. could change. Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to be the best player on the team next year. Uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah I, like I think he's a really good player, and we see we saw him take big steps in the right direction. I don't know if he's one of those guys that's just a really good player on a bad team because somebody has to score and somebody has to fill up the stat sheet on a bad team, or if that translates to the Thunder winning 50 games and him is still being able to do the same thing. So I'm not going to say he can't be that, but I, I don't know that he is. I wouldn't say that there's, there's just a guarantee that he is the foundation piece five years down the road. As it stands today, he's the best player they have, so he's the guy you have to build around. But I don't think he's shown enough at this point to say, like, we wouldn't go get another guy if, if there were a guy like that available. Yeah, for sure. It's like, is he a De'Aaron Fox or is he a future Chris Paul? Like in, in anywhere yeah. in between. Like I feel like that's yeah. like, and that's that's where like like I right, give you that question kind of phrase a little bit differently. If you could take Shy Gilgis Alexander for the next two seasons or De'Aaron Fox for the next two seasons, which way are you leaning? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I know they're kind of prob- probably Shay just because I feel like. 
Darren Fox, I feel like, has a higher ceiling than Shea, but at, at this point in time, I don't necessarily see either one of them being, like, top five point guards in the NBA. So I think yeah. Shea's skill set is a little bit more well-rounded uh, yeah. than, than De'Aaron Fox. But like I said, I, I do think De'Aaron Fox has a higher ceiling. So because I don't think either one of them right now, for me at least, would be, like, a top five point guard, I'd, I'd probably stay with Shea. All right, for sure, for sure. I, I feel the same way. More more versatile, more fundamentally sound. Probably is going to cost you less, lose you less games than a guy like De'Aaron, a little safer. Um, no, so, I mean. De- you're, I just you're... want De'Aaron to get a jump. If De'Aaron can just shoot the three a little bit more consistently, man, I feel like he's he's just there, – there's so much there. There's so yeah. much untapped potential. Uh, but we're kind of reaching that point where, you know, he's been in the NBA long enough. you you got to start to see – it come out at the highest level. Like, is he going to be in the same conversation with the Chris Pauls and the, the Damian Lillards and, you know, those guys, or is he going to be that next tier? And look, there's no shame in being that next tier, but you know, nobody's winning an NBA championship unless you have one of the tier one guys on your team. It's just a very rare thing to happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and especially because they already paid him like he was tier one for sure. He got that fat contract extension. Um, Yeah. And it's like, so, you're an Oklahoma guy. Like, I know you cover the team, but, I mean, is it probably safe to say you're a fan of the team? You you want them to do well. Like, uh, were you kind of on board on the, like, nuclear option rebuild? Or did – like, I know I know it's easy to say, like, you know, you don't want to be caught in the middle, right? And you don't want to be caught in no man's land. But, like, were you on board for kind of taking the approach like they did last year? They got CP3. They made the kind of – made a little made the playoffs I'm pretty sure they did or, or got close to yeah, it yeah they did. And, yeah and, and so what like because I know that's where I was kind of split and, and I was surprised they bottomed out and went that direction but but are you on board with the full nuclear option rebuild like did you see it that that was their only choice or do you think they should have tried to stay competitive they, they had to go rebuild I mean you you can continue to put band-aids on the situation but at some point you run out of band-aids and then you're just you know you're you're really screwed um, it, it was when you go back to Kevin Durant leaving the thunder they obviously had built this team with a supporting cast to support Kevin Durant being the star so yeah. when he leaves now you have this supporting cast that doesn't really complement Russell Westbrook as well as they complimented Kevin Durant and you, you, you know, you have to start scrambling because you still have a bunch of really talented players and you still ha- you're still good enough to contend. You just got to kind of switch around the, the, the pieces to make yourself uh, be the best you can be. So they did everything they could to kind of reshuffle the deck and, and put the right pieces around Russell Westbrook to make them as competitive as they can be. Um, obviously, you know, everybody knows the story about how good Russ is in the regular season and you don't really get the same product when, when the playoffs roll around, um, you know, there was some of that on, on national television today after the Wizards game last night. So, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. But, you know, they, they move Russell Westbrook. They get Chris Paul. Kind of a perfect scenario for both sides because you're, you're able to bring in this veteran guy that if, if he decides to, to be a mentor and lead the young guys on this team, he has a lot that he can pass on. And fortunately, he decided to take that route instead of maybe being upset that he was on this team that nobody thought was good, uh, including myself. I didn't think there was any chance they were getting to the postseason uh, a year ago. And look, a lot of that was because we all assumed that at some point last year they were going to blow the whole thing up before the trade deadline. And then Chris Paul has an an all-world type season, and these guys all follow him, right? Like, Every one of these guys is is soaking up everything Chris Paul's teaching them, and they became a genuine team. Like it's it's a very rare thing I think in the NBA yeah. for like a group of guys to like genuinely like each other. I think everybody wants to have the fantasy in professional sports that this is like a Disney movie where you know they're like the Mighty Ducks or something, and they all play hockey together, and then they all go hang out like when they're not playing hockey, and like these guys are all best friends. That's not the reality of professional sports. But last yeah. year's Thunder team kind of embrace that. Like these guys genuinely liked each other. These guys genuinely got along, spent a lot of time together. And it was just a bunch of young guys that were hungry to follow the undisputed veteran leader of this team and Chris Paul. So they massively overachieved. And then they got, they got kind of in the situation where it didn't make sense to tank, right? Like they had won so yeah. much early on. Exactly. It made no sense to tank. And, and it also made no sense to sell off these valuable pieces that had increased their value with how well they were playing for pennies on the dollar. So I think Presti made the right choice by just letting last year play out 
the way yeah. that it did. They got, the, I think it was the five seed, lost to Houston in the four five matchup of the first round, but the yeah. team was insanely better than anybody gave them credit for overachieved. They got value out of basically all the pieces they sold off. And, and now we're in, you know, full reboot mode mode, which is kind of what we all thought was going to happen at some point early last season. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then like, you know, we got a bunch of young players, a lot of a million and a half picks, but um, as far as the like the guys on the roster, cause like the, when, when you're rebuilding, right, obviously the guy probably isn't in the roster or else you want to be rebuilding. In the, but you want to try to find these pieces where uh, once the team's good again, can this guy be my seventh or eighth guy? You know what I mean? Right. Like those right. those type of pieces. Um, now, so out of the people not named Shy Gilgis, not named Darius Basley, and not named Dort, is there any kind of like – is there any of those guys that are like, no – I mean, look, maybe maybe one of those guys overachieves the same way that the Thunder team last year overachieved. But uh, look, there are some nice stories. There are definitely some uh, some Rudy type stories as far as the guys on this roster and and the and what they've been able to produce this season. But once again, we're talking about a team that over the final 25 games of this year they were outscored by I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 450 points, which is the greatest deficit of any 25 game stretch in NBA history. Uh, so, I mean, these guys, they, they perfected the art of tanking all the way until the final game of the year, which they, they blew that opportunity and won the game. But yeah, it's, it's a bunch of guys that they basically acquired to not be good enough to lose games in, in, you know, glorious fashion. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. I, I, I don't see it. Uh, You know, I, I would bet against it if, if I had to, if I had to put money on it. For sure. Now, and then as far as – so they have all these picks, right? And then they call it draft capital because you can either spend it on the actual picks or you can spend it and package it to, to acquire talent from, from a, a, a trade. Do, what do you think is the overall master plan here? Do you think the master plan is to actually draft rookies and, 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 and let them come up through the system like they did back with Russ and KD and James – once upon a time, seems like a lifetime ago. Um, or do you think that they're going to tr- – I mean, we, we try to make some massive draft pick package for, for, for a star, for an all-star? I think option A is the only way they can do it, to realistically give themselves an opportunity to be good beyond like a year. I mean, you can always go trade for the Paul Georges of the world or the Chris Pauls of the world, but the bottom line is – if you're not an NBA contender, those guys want to go somewhere where they're going to have an opportunity to win a championship. And that's, you know, that those guys are going to be evaluated over the course of their entire lives by what, you know, did they win a championship? Uh, So, you know, we can talk about loyalty and all that in sports and, and, you know, everybody wants to believe that once somebody comes to Oklahoma city or once somebody goes to the golden state warriors, like they think it's the greatest organization ever and the city is the greatest and they want to spend the rest of their life there. Uh, even if guys think that's the case, like it may not just be a good fit for what their future is in the NBA and extending their career and winning and all these other aspects uh, beyond that being mostly just completely fo- a foolish thought. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't think that it's realistic to think that the Thunder are going to use any of that draft capital to bring in guys that are established all-stars or even guys that are close to being established all-stars. I think if we're talking about anything, it's, Maybe you acquire guys that are on rookie contracts that you feel like are being overlooked. Jeremy Grant's a really good example of, of that. You know, they got him uh, early in his career. Nobody really thought too much of the guy. He became a really good player for them. And then he got to the point where, like, he was going to cost way too much money because he was so good that they, they had to move him as well. But uh, I think for the most part, what you will see, depending on where their draft picks land, they're going to use most of those picks. I think they'll also use a lot of those picks to – try and trade up in some of these drafts, right? Like you can't, you only have so many roster spots. I think they have like something like 37 picks over the next seven years or something. Like you can't even roster 37 yeah. guys. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So at some point you, you, you know, you, maybe you have the 10th, the 10th pick and you package a few picks together to move up to number seven, to get a guy that you like a little bit better than the guy that maybe is available at 10. So that's yeah. kind of the way I see them using all the draft capital they have. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I see that definitely happening. Being very active in in-draft trading in moving forward yeah. to get the guy that they want, but still using that guy to build for moving forward, for sure. And then pretty much, I'll, I got one last question for you, and, and then we'll leave it at that. And uh, 
it's been a super fun hour with you, my guy. And um, but so you've worked in traditional sports radio, and and you've been doing the podcast thing. I, a lot of people haven't done both. Some people have, but um, how how are you liking the podcast game compared to the traditional media? And, and kind of like you know, I guess pros and cons or which way you want to lean moving forward or, you know, things that you liked and didn't like. Cause there's a lot of things similar, but, but there's a, a lot, a lot of things different as well. And you know that better than anybody. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a pretty tough question because I think like sports media in general, like, you know, everybody across the country, whether you're doing podcasts or radio or even television for that matter, like we're watching the world change at this drastic rate. And then when you add what happened in the pandemic and everybody discovering there are new and better and more efficient ways to do things. Um, I, you know, I think right now, like this industry as a whole sports media is at a giant crossroads. And I think everybody's trying to figure out like what makes the most sense. I don't think radio is going away anytime soon, despite, you know, some people want to like make it sound like sports radio is about to be obsolete. Maybe there are markets where we see drops, but there's always going to be room for sports radio. I don't think it's disappearing anytime soon. Uh, podcasts are obviously a growing thing. I think the podcast thing is really interesting because I felt like throughout 2019, it was really gaining a lot of momentum and it was becoming a really trendy thing. And then like the pandemic happens and then everybody starts a podcast, right? So it's kind of this weird dynamic where it was super trendy. And then like, I don't know how much of the trendiness was lost when like, you know, the market got saturated with podcasts. So yeah, that's also yeah. something that I think is kind of an interesting dynamic to kind of monitor over the next couple of years and, and see how that shakes out. But yes. uh, I mean, I, I think you probably know like 10 people that have podcasts, you know, just like me, I, everybody has a podcast and look, there are people that do radio and do podcasts on the side. So yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's enough room in the market for both to exist successfully. Uh, but we've not really seen, I mean, you know, the last year isn't really a, a good way to gauge the future of podcasts because of, again, exactly. all the, all the dynamics in the world that aren't going to be relevant, you know, in 2021 or 2022 when things are somewhat normal. So I think like, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm, constantly evaluating the way that I do things and the way that it's taken and received and trying to, you know, you, I, I think you just have to evolve with it and, and just make educated decisions every day on, on what you think works and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, go from there. I've talked to a million program directors over the last year um, across the country. And it's, it's this conversation that we're having right now. It's, you know, wh where is, this platform of sports talk going? Is it podcast? Is it radio? Is it both? Will both be able to thrive successfully? Um, are we maybe, you know, passing the torch from one to the other? And I, I just don't think there's really a good answer for that right now. So uh, as far as what, as far as what I like about, you know, one or, or the other, um, obviously there's just so much more flexibility with podcasting. Um, you know, you can, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. You have to understand, I guess, what your audience is, but you also have the opportunity because of the way that this is available to build the audience of your choice at the same time, uh, which I, I, I think is super unique because, you know, again, we would never talk UFC on an Oklahoma sports radio station unless like literally there was a guy from Oklahoma City or a guy from like OU or OSU that was you know, a Daniel Cormier type. And even when Cormier was, you know, fighting for titles, like it would get a mention and, you know, maybe 60 seconds on it. And then it's, you know, back to OU football or Thunder basketball. Cause that's what, yeah. you know, that's what drives this market. So with the podcast, like I do a lot of that stuff. I do a lot of Thunder talk. I do a lot of OU talk, but uh, it's, it's unique in the way that like, if I want to talk about the UFC every Thursday, I may not have a big audience for that, but I can do it and hopefully build an audience because yeah. it's available everywhere. Like anybody in the world can get it. You don't have to just tune into a certain radio dial in a certain yeah. part of Oklahoma to hear what I have to say. So, yeah. um, man, it's, 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 uh, it's waters uncharted, I think is, is maybe the best way to say it. Yeah, for sure, man. And like, you know, when podcasts started, you know, they were like the outlaw, like the pirate radio. And yeah. then like, you know, the, the radio was like the suits and, and but, 
I guess what I want them to stay different. Like I don't want them to kind of blend and become one of the same thing. And and maybe that's the direction we're heading in, and I'll just have to get with the times. But I do want there to be like a distinction. Like I do, I do like how. I think I think the biggest difference between podcasting and traditional radio is not like having to work around the breaks. And, and yeah, you right. can you can insert little advertisements in your podcast, and it, it, you know it happens on Spotify and YouTube and stuff. But it, it's different than like literally structuring the show in these like segments. Like yeah. you can you can you can kind of just dive that little bit deeper. You know, not everything has to be so surface level. You you like because then. When you're when you're working around those advertising breaks, you kind of got to touch and go, and 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 or you can say we'll come back, but then when you come back, there's something else already happening. So, but yeah, man, and it's cool to see just somebody that that's that's worked in both and and has had success in both. And um, like I said, this was super cool for me. Like I said, I you know listen to you all the time, and, and um, I said I'm a big fan, and, and like you de- like directly influenced me to be wanting to talk about sports <laughs> and, and and wanting to to be heard and, and wanting to you know use my voice and my words to. And, and, and so thank you for that. And like I said, it was an honor to have you on. I was super excited about it. And thank you so much for your time. Dude, anytime, man. Feel free to shout out. I, I had a blast. Yeah, for sure. This is episode 47 of Dreadful Talk. Special guest, Kobe Daniels. Go follow his podcast, the Kobe Daniels Podcast. He talks all traditional sports plus MMA. And I love, I love um, hearing him talk about MMA. So, yeah, go support everything this man's doing. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. Have a good night. Everybody have a great night.